We're talking about fortitude, living life with fortitude, four things, F-O-U-R, fortitude. Love God, love yourself, love others, and love creation. How many of you recycled last week after we talked about that? Okay, all of you, that's fantastic, that's amazing. <laughs> Did you see the email I sent out that Americans, Americans fill up 63,000 garbage trucks a day with the amount of garbage we take up? And a lot of that could be recycled. A lot of that could be put into a, into a furnace and turned back into energy. I'll share more about that with you at some other point. But uh, anyway, we're in Acts chapter 16. We're talking about loving God, loving self, loving others, and loving his creation. Now, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia, Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. We'll come back to that in just a second. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, let's back up and look at this a minute. I am so thankful. So thankful. What are you doing? You're picking on your mom over here? I saw that. She like fell out on the floor over here. I guess she picked on you enough, right? You picked back at her. Turnabout's fair play. I'm so glad this, these four or five verses are in the Bible because I so relate to them. Maybe you relate to them as well. Have you ever just really felt like God was telling you to go do something and the harder you tried to do it, the less it got done. It's just like you're hitting a brick wall, right? We say our prayers don't get up to heaven. It may be a way of saying it. Well, here's Paul. Now, I just think Paul was like in touch with God, right? If anybody was, he was. He and David in the Old Testament. Just look at these guys and just, God's just using their lives. But here we find Paul not being able to hear clearly God's voice. That's really encouraging to me. That we all go through seasons where we don't hear God's voice. And sometimes it's not about us. Sometimes it's about God's timing. His kairos timing. That's a different Greek word than chronos. Chronos is the watch here, right? That you hope I'll all watch, right? <laughs> Finish up before the Methodists get to the restaurant, right? That's chronos. I'll, I'll do my best. Kairos is a different Greek word, which means... When it's time for God to act in your life or move in your life, he moves. God does not wear a watch. He doesn't have a calendar. He operates off a of kairos time. And so there may have been a season in your life, maybe it was months or maybe a couple of years, where every day you heard God clearly and you're like, oh, it's just amazing. That's amazing. And then you may be in a season right now of months, maybe years, where not so much. God's kairos is at work. If you're crying out to him and crying out to him and, and you don't hear anything, that's fine. Just keep crying out to him. There's a, there's a Kairos moment waiting for you. There's always a Kairos moment waiting for us. Put the watch down and just continue to pray to God. And so we find Paul here and, and, the, and the missionary team trying to go do missions. Paul knew he was called to the Gentiles to go share the gospel with them. And so here's Paul and his companions. They're traveling throughout the region here. 
And look, the Trinity is involved. I love this. The Trinity is involved in getting Paul where it needs to be. So the first thing we see, they were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So Paul tried to go west from where he was. Okay? And the Holy Spirit said, nah. Now, I wonder what that battle looked like. Was it a simple thing? Was, was, was Paul like, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit just said no. Well, the indication here is having been kept, there seems to be some wrestling involved with this. There seems to be a struggle. Paul is, he's heading the caravan this way to go do missions. And, and he's going across the sand and all of a sudden he hits a speed bump. And all of a sudden he runs into a cactus. I mean, he starts to run into things. Have you ever bumped into a cactus? Have you ever, have you ever bumped into uh, uh, a, uh, an emotional cactus? You ever bumped into a spiritual cactus? You ever bumped into the cactus of your own will? Ow. That one hurts. You ever bumped into the cactus of somebody else's will against you? Right. You ever bumped into the enemy? His cactus, right? Paul was wrestling with the Holy Spirit here, right? And was trying to do the right thing. He really wasn't. And, and that's sometimes how it is. We are trying to do the right thing in the right place at the right time for the right reason. And the Holy Spirit says, ah, no. Now, I don't know about you. That's quite frustrating at times. And I'm sure Paul was frustrated. The Holy Spirit had kept him in some wrestling match from going west. And so when they came to the board of mission, in other words, they're still trying to go. He's still trying to make his journey. When he came to the board of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. Well, that's northeast from where he was. It's northeast. Let's, let's go northeast. Surely we can find something northeast from here. And they tried to go there, but the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, you're not going to find that phrase very often, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do so. So we found the Holy Spirit. Now we find Jesus. So here Paul is wrestling against Jesus. Was there another time when Paul wrestled against Jesus? Anybody got that one? On the road to Damascus, right? And Jesus says, why are you wrestling against me? Why, why do you keep wrestling against me when I'm trying to lead you in the right way? What's this wrestling match? And here we find Paul, a great missionary at this point in his life. It, we're seeing he's telling people about Jesus and and now he's wrestling with Jesus again. Right? So, so if, if Paul bumps into Jesus and wrestles with Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised that we do also. When we're trying to get from point A to point B, we think point B is the right place. And God's like, no, C is where I've got you going. But I'll have to get you there. And I think in those times when we wrestle with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the reason we're wrestling with them is so we can get to know them better. Not so much to do something, not so much to be something, not so much to accomplish something, but to simply understand who the Holy Spirit is in our life, who Jesus is in our life, and who the Father is in our life. Those are important milestones of learning who these three people are in our lives. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia, which is northwest. This is north by northwest for your movie bus. Okay. Standing and begging him, 
come over to Macedonia and help us. Concluding that God had called him. So the father is entering here now. The father is the one that allowed the vision to take place of a man from Macedonia. Now, visions and dreams are wonderful things. And, and typically a vision and a dream happens in the night while you're sleeping. A dream tends to be more uh, colorful. It tends to be more interesting. It tends to be, it, it tends to not mean what it means. There, there are several things about dreams. You're like, what does that mean? It's a car. What does a car mean? Car typically means ministry, for instance. And, but a vision is very clear. So you have a man in the area of Macedonia saying, come help us. Visions are very clear, very specific, very detailed, where dreams are kind of out there. You're not really sure what, exactly what they mean. God can speak to all of us in dreams or visions and, and wants to from time to time. And so if you're really pressing into God about a matter, whether it's being a missionary somewhere like North Korea, whether it's being a, a missionary across the street to a school that needs you to pray for them every day, whatever God's calling you to do, just know that God may speak to you in a dream or vision and be prepared for either one. Have a notepad beside your bed and jot it down what you saw. So we find Paul having this vision and we're going to see why in just a second. And after Paul had seen the vision, we, it's plural there, so the team, we got ready. Who wrote the book of Acts? Oh, I wonder, wonder who. Luke, thank you. Who wrote the book of Luke? Oh, they're geniuses. It's amazing. So Luke wrote most of the Old Testament. When you add the number of verses up, he wrote most of the Old Testament. New Testament, thank you. Correct, correct me, thank you. He wrote most of the New Testament. Was he, a, was he an apostle? No, he was not an apostle. No, he wasn't an apostle, right? He was a Gentile. He was a follower, God-fearer. He was a doctor. He was a news reporter, right? Well, he was a doctor and Jesus put him out of business. Right? He was a doctor that fixed people and Jesus just healed people. So he followed around and said, I got to know what this is. I got to write about this. I got to tell the story. So that's who wrote the book of Acts. We got ready to leave and at once we headed for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now from Troas, we set out and sailed straight to Samothrace. And the next day to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. And on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. We could sing a song about that right now, couldn't we? Down by the river. To the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. I mean, why did they expect to find it? Well, because when Paul came into the town, they said, hey, where do people gather on the Sabbath? Is there a synagogue? Is there a place of prayer? And apparently there's a place of prayer down by the river. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord opens our heart to allow us to respond, not just to the message of salvation, but the subsequent messages that he gives us. He opens our heart. 
Sometimes our hearts are closed, not because we've done something bad, not because we're evil. It's just close to hearing God's voice. It's just, it's just one of those days that happens sometimes. Now, our hearts can be closed because of evil and sin and lostness. That's true. But Lydia was a worshiper of God whose heart had not yet been opened to the gospel. And so the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Uh, now, Lydia had a job. She was, she was a hard worker, apparently, and uh, she, she made purple cloth, right? She took some dye and dyed the clothes, and people came from all around to buy her purple cloth, right? She liked that. And she apparently was the head of her household. There was, there was no Mr. Lydia here, right? <clears throat> she was the head of her household, and when she gave her heart to Jesus, everybody in her household gave their heart to Jesus as well. And they were baptized. She invited us to her home. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, it was customary back in the day that when people came through visiting, you would invite a stranger in to your house. Right? Uh, <clears throat> you know, when, when Mary and Joseph went back to Bethlehem to be counted in the census. The Bible says they stayed there and there was no room for them in the inn. <clears throat> Barbara and I are going to talk about this in December. We're going to do another talk on, on uh, what it really looked like back in the day. But the inn, I'll just, I'll just set you up here. The inn was a room, a single room attached to a house. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to talk about that more in December. I can't wait for it. Barbara and I are getting ready for it. So she invited them to come stay with them in this room that she had in her house. And so they did. Now, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. So we, we see two ladies in this story. One who's worshiping God and then one who is a slave girl. Now, the word, word girl here in the New Testament means someone 13 years old or younger. 13 years old or younger. This is, not a <clears throat> this is not a woman. This is not the word for woman. It's the word for young girl. <clears throat> she was a slave girl, which meant she was caught up in human trafficking. You think it's a modern thing? No. It's been going on for millennia. She was a, caught up in human trafficking. Look. Met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners, human trafficking, by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, <clears throat> shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, not to the girl, but the spirit inside the girl, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar, uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. So let's talk about this for a minute. It, this young lady had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
She had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, if you could read that in the Greek, the word is she had a python spirit. A python spirit. Now, what's a python? That's a big honking snake. That ain't no little bitty garden snake. That's a big honking snake. 16, 18, 20 feet long, 26 feet long. <clears throat> that would be from that wall right there to that wall right there, 28 feet. You don't want to run into one of those. Right? right? She had a python spirit. Now, why would Luke, who wrote this, use the word python spirit? Why, why was that? A python, back in the day, was considered to have great power, great ability. And what the python spirit represents are demons, not devils. Did you know there's a difference? There's a difference in devils and demons. Let me explain. Devils are spiritual rulers. They're princes of the air, it says in the scripture. Um, they deal with higher issues, things like national level issues and societal issues. They're the ones that influence society to go in a bad way. Just look at the things that happened this week alone. And if you, I'm not going to go into the detail of it, but if you read the story of the 11 and 12 year old girls that were arrested this week, if you read that story, uh, it's, it's horrible. And so when we see society decaying and, and going in that direction, that's something that has to do with the devil's oversight, influence. Demons, however, are familial spirits, right? And that's what this python spirit was. They had to do, apparently in the New Testament, you can read this quite often, especially in Jesus' ministry, they had to do with deformities, disease, physical problems. They were individual problems. They dealt with individuals or local communities. That's what demons, that, that's their responsibility. Now, this girl apparently was able to contact demons. She had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And what a python spirit was, what that whole thing was, she could talk to the dead, which are demons. Demons who die without God, people who die without God, their spirits. Apparently some of them were demons. And she was able to communicate with them and find out information and pass it on. Now what would she pass on? So people would come in because she was accurate People would come in, they would pay the owner some money, and they say, I'll give you $5 if you can tell me what my future holds. And because she was in contact with demon spirits who know things in the spirit realm, she was able to accurately predict either what had happened to them or what might happen to them in the future. And they, people paid great money for that. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. That's, that's everywhere you go. The closer to the beach you get, you see the palm readers, right? Right, you see the big signs? You've seen that, right? It's, it's the same thing, contacting the dead on behalf of the living. It's also in the Bible there, at least three instances in the Bible where people contacted the dead to try to find out something for the living, right? And every time God says, no, don't do that. Balaam's a prime example, right? The witch of Endor, another prime example. Uh, but this girl had that ability to do that. Now, 
I want to talk about Halloween for just a second. The essence of Halloween coming up this week is contacting the dead on behalf of the living. Halloween has to do with the demonic, the satanic, the occultic, witchcrafts, and images of the dead. We, we contact them to find out something we need to know for the living. It's no different from this young girl who had the gift of, of the ability of divination contacting to find out something important so that she can make money or that her owners can make money for her. <clears throat> there, there are several things wrong with, with the way we celebrate Halloween. Uh, you know, the first thing is we are we are exalting demon worship when we celebrate Halloween. If you've got something in your yard today that looks like a demon, that looks like a witch, that's occultic, that looks like somebody's dead, bones and all that that's in your yard, you have just exalted them. You've honored them. You see, your front yard, your front yard is your testimony. How you cut your grass is a testimony of how you think about the rest of your house and your family and your backyard and everything. What you put in your front yard is a testimony of what you believe. If you're a Democrat, then you've got blue signs in your yard. If you're a Republican, you've got red signs in your yard. People can drive by and say, oh, that's a Democrat. Oh, that's a Republican. Right? You can see that. If you drive by your yard and, and it's full of stuff, it, there's, there's a house not too far from here that's got over 100 pieces of stuff in the front yard that are all demonic looking. It's, it's got a little carriage with a baby in it that looks like a demon, right? And the mother standing over it that looks like a demon. This is in the front yard, right? So we're, we're worshiping demons. What you do in your front yard is an act of worship. <coughs> what you cut your grass is an act of worship. Everything we do is an act of worship. So if you're a Christian and you've got these things in your yard or in your house, it's an act of worship. People drive by and say, oh, they, they love that stuff. What we're doing is we're, we're lifting up, we're, we're, we're saying that divination, contacting demons, is okay. And we should be doing it. When it's Christians, not so much. Secondly, about this, it's a violation of the first three commandments. Ten commandments, right, over in Deuteronomy. The first three, have no other gods before you. Well, if you walk into your house and there's stuff, ghosts and goblins, all of it, well, that's gods before the first god, right? It says, have no idols. Yeah, that's, an, that's an idol when you erect something like that. And it says, don't misuse my name. So we violate the first three commandments by putting this stuff out in the yard. And the third thing, and the most important, the most practical thing for us here is, it opens the door to the demonic. Now, if you put that stuff in your yard, is God mad at you? Is he going to send a lightning bolt down? No, no. Is he going to take a big two by four and smack you upside the head? No. That's not the God we worship, right? He lets us put that junk in our yard and goes, you're just opening the door. You open the door for the demonic to come into your house. Let me tell you a story. True story. We had a, this was years ago, had some friends. We moved to a new subdivision. And on Halloween, they put the hideous, most gross stuff you've ever seen on their front yard. On the side of their house, it was just horrible. And so uh, they were not believers at the time. And we got to know them and became friends. And, and they eventually, you know, came to Christ. But before that, 
their daughter couldn't sleep at night. A little three-year-old. She couldn't sleep at night. Screamed, had night terrors. Run go get in the bed with them. They would try to sleep in the bed with her, you know, to, in her room to try to get her used to it. She, she couldn't handle it. All the stuff they hung on the walls and the doors in the yard, they stored in the attic right above her room. She had one of those pull-down doors that came into her bedroom. And all she could think about was all the ghosts and goblins and things up, up in the attic. Terrified. They had a teenager, a son who was rebellious, ran away from home, just, just rebellious. Their finances were, were crushed. They, they couldn't make ends meet. They had all kinds of problems. Health, everything was just problems. Well, they gave their life to Jesus. And they came to this truth that I'm teaching this morning that we don't need to be honoring Satan, demonic, demons, devils. We need, we need, need to be honoring God. So they took all that stuff out of their attic and they burned it. They burned every bit of it. Well, things started to turn around. The daughter started sleeping in her bed. Her night terrors went away. The teenage son just finally started acting right. And the other children, they went on and had two more children, right? Beautiful family. Uh, he quit his job that he hated, started a business, and they've got more customers now than they can actually get to. Their finances went through the roof. They wound up being in a Bible-teaching church, and God is using them mightily now because they got rid of this. So that's what I mean by we open the door to the demonic in our homes we open the door to the demonic in our health, our finances, our marriage, and our jobs when we set this stuff out thinking it's harmless. It's not harmless because it has the potential to open a door for the demonic to come into our lives and, and do damage. So, Paul let this young lady, this, this teenager, this 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl, follow them around for days and days, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, how did she know that? How did she know these men were telling people the way to be saved? Other than what they were saying, how did she know that in the spirit realm? Because the demons she was contacted, they all knew Jesus. God creates all spirits, Right? Spirits choose to be good or bad. But God created every spirit that's ever been created. I think he created them when he created everything in the first six days. Nonetheless, he created every spirit. There's not a spirit that created itself. If it did, it would be God. So God created all spirits. Somehow she was talking to demons who had known God in his glory, who had known God while they walked on this earth. Somehow they knew God, and they knew that Paul was talking about King of kings and Lord of lords. And she was going around screaming it, yelling it. Don't know why she just was. She was speaking the truth because she had heard it from divination, from some demons who had told her they're talking about God. Probably because they were worried they were going to be cast out of the region. And that's probably why they were doing that. You know, Jesus, when he went to cast out some demons, some of them also said, you're the son of God. They started pointing out, we know who you are. We know who you are. So there's something about the spirit realm that already knows about God, right? And can tell others about who that is, even though they're getting it from a demonic realm. They still know God. And we know what Scripture says, that every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's every, that's every spirit that's ever been created at one point, at some point in time, 
at the judgment day, whenever it is, it's going to say Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. They may be cast into hell after that point, but they're going to say it. They're going to say it. They're going to all have to acknowledge all spirits, all devils, all demons, all good spirits, all angels, everything is going to bow before Jesus Christ and say, you're a king of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? So here we find the demons bowing down to Jesus, the name of Jesus. And so Paul looks at her and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, this python spirit, this demonic spirit of divination, left her. And she was set free. Now, that made the owners pretty mad because they were going to miss out on some money. So they had Paul and the gang dragged into town to say, hey, these people took our source of income away. Do something about it. So they threw him in jail. And about midnight, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to him. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. This is all because they had a, a hymn singing. Right? Right? Fifth Sunday sing, right? Right? They were worshiping God. They're just, just singing, praising and singing hymns. There was no preaching going on. They just... Worshiping God. It's amazing what happens when we just sing praises to God, right? He inhabits the praise of our people. Uh, he inhabits the praises of his people, just like he did this morning when we were all singing. And once the prison doors flew open, everybody's chains were loose. The jailer woke up, and we saw the prison's doors was open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped because he, he would have been killed. If you let a prisoner go, it was life for life back in Roman days. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So people are starting to get saved here because of this prayer meeting, this, this singing. And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and all of your household, just like Lydia. And then they spoke the word to the Lord to him and to all the others in their house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. So Lydia and all of her family were baptized. The jailer and all of his family, they were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house. Just like Lydia said, come to my house. The jailer said, y'all come to my house. Set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family. And when it was daylight, the magistrate sent the officers of the jailer with the orders. Release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. You know, God is, uh, what can you say? He's a chain breaker, right? He likes to set us free from prisons. He likes to set us free from demonic stuff we've dabbled in. He wants to set us free from bad thinking that we've had for a long time. And he just loves doing that. And so this morning, I want you to know, he loves setting people free. <coughs> Whatever it is that you're hanging on to or that's hanging on to you, he wants to break that chain off of you. So maybe this morning just ask, Father, I've got this chain that I've been dragging around for a long, long time. I'm tired of dragging it around. It's heavy. It's rusty. I don't like it. Would you set me free from that chain? And just ask him to set you free from whatever the chain is, whatever the thinking is in your head. Ask him to set you free. Would you do that this morning? And then when we celebrate communion this morning, let's celebrate it with giving thanks to God for setting us free. First off, for giving us salvation, right? 
Amen. Giving us salvation. But secondly, because he continues to give us salvation. That is, saving us from the things that are keeping us bound and chained up in our lives. Because he likes doing that. He's just a chain-breaking God. He enjoys that. So let's pray. Father.